0: Do you miss the good old days meeting with our colleagues
1: and having those face-to-face interactions? Who doesn't? It's that connection, camaraderie, and discussions that unite us all. So join us as we work to gain
0: all that back and more through the new ReConnect podcast. I'm Kim McTiernan, account
1: manager in Lower Alabama. And I'm Stephanie Fowler, account manager in East Mississippi. We will be your hosts. This podcast is all about all of you are incredibly experienced, effective, results-driven account managers. We're excited to bring you guests that will deliver insights, helpful knowledge, sales and business strategies to grow your markets, something new hopefully, a little fun, and most of all, we'll be reconnected during our drive.
0: Reconnect will drop on the second Tuesday of the month, so be sure to open your email from the source and listen anytime.
1: Go out today and reconnect with your colleagues, customers, friends, and families.
0: And please send us your topics you want us to cover and suggestions for future episodes to reconnect at URPT.com. Well, welcome to Reconnect, Episode 5, Clinical Conversations to
1: Enhance Connections. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Misty Seidenberg, who is the Director of Clinical Education the co-program director of Upstream Rehab Institute's residency in orthopedic physical therapy and sports physical therapy residency as well as a lead instructor for several URI continuing education courses. Her education includes receiving her doctorate in physical therapy from Gannon University in 2006, completion of a postgraduate um, postgraduate orthopedic residency in 2008 and subsequent fellowship in spine in 2010. She also holds board certification orthopedics, so as an OCS. She's also certified in both the McKinsey method of mechanical diagnosis and therapy and certified movement links practitioner. So Dr. Seidenberg has also presented at multiple national conferences and has various articles in publication. She serves on several APTA committees and is currently an adjunct faculty member at Messiah College And so on a personal note here, guys, she has three children. She's married to a college basketball coach, which which keeps things very interesting, she said. But I was like, really? I think the three kids, that keeps things really interesting. Um, She's also big into marathon running and Olympic lifting. So,
2: Misty, welcome. Thank you, guys. I'm super excited. Um, to talk to you guys today, and I was completely stoked when you reached out for this. Um, I some of the account managers that maybe listen to this um, know that I used to be part of those monthly clinical conversations, and it's something I've really missed over the last year. Or so um, I was really excited for the opportunity to um, get to chat with you guys and um, share some knowledge in orthopedics. We love that, Missy. Welcome, welcome. We are so happy to have you.
0: And we want to really start off by, since you're the co-program director of the residency program, or the OCS, why don't we first by give us an overview of really, what does that really mean to our providers?
2: Yeah, so um, OCS is those three little letters that a lot of our PTs strive for um, within Upstream. Um, and not all of our providers actually really know what that means. So it's still, even though OCS has been around for, oh my gosh, probably over 20, 25 years, it really hasn't gained traction until maybe the last five or six years even. Um, And every year I'm surprised by how the exponential growth and what that is. Um, But an OCS is really uh, define specialty practice and physical therapy within the field of orthopedics. So in physical therapy in general, there are 13 specialty areas and orthopedics is one of them. And that's my specialty area. Um, so if you can demonstrate clinical excellence, you take a, a separate board certification exam um, to get to have those letters behind your name. And there's a couple avenues that you can take for that. So one is doing residency. So you or I The Upstream Rehab Institute, which is our educational arm of Upstream, um, really promotes investing in our clinicians and promoting clinical excellence. So we have an orthopedic residency um, as well as a sports residency program, which are avenues that um, young therapists can take in order to achieve that goal. Um, And there is another option that you can do as well, which we have a number of clinicians in Upstream do where they challenge that test on their own. And so if they have enough documented clinical practice hours, um, they do have the option of challenging that exam. So um, not all of your people who hold OCS are um, therapists that, that did residency, they can choose to challenge.
0: Interesting. I didn't know that, that second yeah. piece. Um, and, and how many? How long does it take if they go the traditional route <laughs> and going through the program?
2: Um, So if they do residency, they have to have, residency is a year-long program, so often their younger therapists come in, um, they do the year-long residency program, and our program specifically graduates in December, and then they take board certification exam in March, and then we have a suspenseful few months until June, so waiting for those results to come back in. If they don't do residency, then you have to have a minimum of 2,000 direct patient care hours within that specialty field. So 2,000 hours of just treating orthopedics.
0: Okay, interesting, very interesting. Um, I love that I know, you know, let's say that everybody doesn't have an OCS in all of their clinics or some of their clinics, and we understand that, Um, but it is nice if if you do have one. that you know a little a few more details about it. That's also been a real key as far as um, getting some of the skilled clinicians that we have and to recruit some of those. Isn't that Misty?
2: Yeah, I think it's a huge opportunity. So when you look at the global field of uh, physical therapists in the US, less than 10% of PTs pursue board certification. So it really is like Um, a unique identifier, Um, and it's something I think Upstream just does so well. So we have the largest orthopedic residency program in the country, um, and I do know that. Um, And I I don't have this stat direct, but I'm pretty sure we also have the largest sports physical therapy residency, even though that's a much smaller cohort than an orthopedic residency. Um, So we have right now 43 orthopedic residents. Generally, we have a cohort of um, around 60 Uh, and then we have anywhere between six to 10 sports residents as well. Uh, so for people who are coming in, um, and we talk about recruiting new therapists, um, the opportunities are there, whether it's taking the route of applying for residency to pursue clinical excellence. Um, but URI also has other opportunities as well for our recruiting their, um, new therapists. So we offer, uh, on the source, there is a specialty team for OCS prep. So URIs also recognize residency isn't for everybody. And so we've put together some resources to help our clinicians that way. Um, And I think it's something that's such a benefit that Upstream offers that we have very robust continuing education and other programs. Um, And it's one of the advantages of coming to work for a company that is our size, because we have such diverse opportunities for our new hires and bringing people on board. This, the learning opportunities are endless, really.
0: Yeah, so they can experience so much growth, which obviously, if we have more specialties that we can help go out and promote, it just helps us have a little bit more of an opportunity to be able to treat more patients and to get more patients in the door. Uh, which is amazing. Is there anything else that you can um, share with us that would be helpful?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you're going to go talk to providers and you can say like, oh, that, you know, I hold an OCS, um, you've named some of those big things in terms of, I do have increased clinical experience. I have pursued excellence. I think throwing out that stat that, you know, less than 10% of PTs nationally hold this, that's a, that is a, quantitative metric that really shows that, that difference, right, that like why are you pursuing this? It's our choice to do it, um, and I think patient outcomes really do matter. So people who hold board certification are shown to have better patient outcomes. So um, that is better uh, like what we call patient-reported outcome measure. So the patient's self report of improvement is higher than people who don't hold board certification. Um, and typically people who hold OCS are also more efficient in their care. So we, what that means is we get patients more better, quote unquote, quicker than PPs that don't have that um, board certification. And then I think another component that the, you know, when you take that exam is it really tests to are you updated in the most current evidence? So are we providing our patients with the latest, most beneficial treatments? And if you hold board certification orthopedics, you've been tested on that information to know that you you do know what those um, high priority interventions are. So we're not, you know, you hold OCS, you're not doing um, outdated interventions that maybe don't have a lot of great support for them. We are doing things like manual therapy and integration of skilled exercise. And so what we know is the evidence shows combining those two components are really one of the high, no matter what diagnosis you look at in physical therapy, the combination of manual therapy and exercise always shows the best outcomes. And our clinicians do both. And we track that not just from an individual standpoint where, you know, myself as an individual provider looking at that, but our company tracks that. So we Our company tracks what are called EBUs, evidence-based units, where one of our company metrics is actually looking to say, do our providers do these activities? So there's certain interventions we apply that would count as what's called an evidence-based unit, manual therapy, skilled exercise, things like that. And that's something that's important to the company. And we do find that we do a really good job at doing. That's great.
1: So I want to point out a couple of things here that you were talking about. And I think with us having this clinical conversation. All these providers that account managers are seeing every day, obviously they're clinical. And for us to have a statistic to make them stop in their tracks to listen to us um, is really, really hard for us to come up with. And it's really important for us to pinpoint something. That's why I loved when you were talking about the less than 10%. That's That statistic is really great. And then backing it up with outcomes, talking about, the evidence-based information that you have and the outcomes that patients are receiving, all those are really great talking points with providers that's gonna to continue to deepen a relationship that we have as account managers. So I just think it's a really great information.
2: All right, so Stephanie, do you wanna throw out just another um, statistic for you, if that's something that helps in, you know, when you talk about grabbing providers' attention? so. Um, What we know um, is low back pain, which is the most common thing seen in physical therapy across the board, Um, you know, up to 70% of people will experience back pain at some point in their life. And at any given point in time, 25% of the U.S. population is complaining of low back pain. It's the number one musculoskeletal complaint people go to a physician for. And what we know in terms of physical therapy is that if patients are referred to PT within 14 days of care, so that is a key number, 14 days from the point of consultation. Uh, so the day they walk in the provider's office, if they are referred to physical therapy within that 14 days, we see significant improvements in outcomes. We see over um, almost $3,000 less um, cost spent within that episode of care we see improved patient outcomes, and we also see a significant reduction in the use of injections and the use of opioids and in the use of other advanced imaging. So PT really makes a huge difference when it comes down to that. Um, And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. So I think being able to emphasize that component to practitioners would be huge. Um, What we often see is someone maybe goes to their PCP for back pain and they're given an anti-inflammatory and they say, call me in 10 days or two weeks and come back. And then maybe at that point they're referred to physical therapy, but often if they're going to PCP, then they might be referred to um, an orthopedic doc. And we all know that might take weeks to get into. And so by that point, that patient has maybe developed more of a chronic based problem. So facilitating that early referral is really key. And then if the patient's still not doing better, you know, we can help those primary care providers or internists or just other providers um, with getting that patient into an orthopedic uh, physician if, if needed. So I think that's a, a, just another metric you guys can toss to your providers to, to hopefully help with referrals into physical therapy.
1: Yeah, I love all that. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, I think
0: that's key. I recently had an issue with um, one of my primary care providers. They just, they love specialists and they want to send those referrals, but those referrals take some time. And it really prompted that conversation in addition to, we can help intervene within that process because certainly Mm -hmm. we don't want to, (laughs) but the patient wasn't feeling better and had to wait a very long period of time. So I love that key point. Um, of the 14 days, because it gives us some strong data as well to really reinforce those outcomes, which is um, just a really big piece for us That's great. And segueing that, and this happened to be a vestibular patient, so it might be a really nice time um, if you could share with us, Misty, about vestibular therapy, because that's something else that you really um, work with under Upstream.
2: Yeah, so um, URI actually has a vestibular certification that is new this year, which is super exciting. So, um, you know, vestibular falls under kind of the neuro specialty of physical therapy, and there really aren't a lot of, there's only actually one other vestibular certification program I know of, which is ABI, and um, we don't have a lot of clinicians that follow that program. Um, I think we'll see a lot of the upstream clinicians Uh, that do treat vestibular coming through with this vestibular um, certification, and that is going to be, you know, everybody loves somebody that's certified. So to be able to go to a provider and say, I have someone who's actually certified in this is going to be awesome, Um, because it's just not something that exists in the global field of PT, even though there's tons of courses people can take on vestibular rehab. um, so, we have courses that people specialize in that, uh, and there's a number of diagnoses that fit into that. Whether so, one of the common ones, the most common diagnosis um, medically is called BPPV, which stands for benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. Um, but what you'll hear patients say is just, I have vertigo or I'm dizzy. So, that's BPPV is the medical term for just dizzy people, and there's other, there's I mean, a ton of other diagnoses that fit in there. Some of the other most common would be what we just call a hypofunction. So somebody who um, maybe feels more unbalanced or unsteady, um, they still fit into that quote dizzy category though. Those are called hypofunctions and any of our therapists that treat vestibular can treat either of those diagnoses. Um, A great tip for providers is if someone's presenting with vertigo and perhaps they have BPPV, our clinicians can assess that and treat that and typically get them feeling 100% better within two to three visits. It's super fast. Now that being said, I think another advocacy point that would be really great for providers to share with their patients is in two, maybe sometimes as early as one visit, but maybe up to three visits that the patient's gonna be feeling better there's still some underlying things that need to be treated often to address any other balance deficits that have occurred because of that issue. And so for our providers, if they can emphasize that to the patient of, you're gonna be feeling great when you go see XPT, but we also wanna make sure we're um, preventing any additional fall risk. And and we see this a lot in our older patients. It's one of the things that Upstream has a big push for is that uh, fall prevention. Um, So you guys may or may not know, but we do fall screens and balance screens for patients, and this falls under that umbrella. Um, So often we'll see patients for a few weeks when they come in with any of those uh, dizziness-based diagnoses, even if the symptoms are better quicker, to make sure we're treating um, the patient comprehensively and addressing any of the deficits that they may have.
0: That's a big piece. A, I mean, I think it's just a huge opportunity. As same thing, everybody may not have a vestibular therapist or certification. When did the certification start? Is it
2: just the beginning of the year? Yeah, so it just came into play in 2021. So we've always had, not always, but in the last years, we've had a vestibular rehab course and concussion management course. And Destiny Hebert teaches that and she's just finalized that certification. So people will start testing for that this year. Okay. Um, and I do think, so certification obviously goes a long way, but even for um, the sales team to just know that people may have a vestibular specialty, they may not have a certification, but it is a specialty area that they may have taken a lot of continuing education courses on. So there's a lot of PTs that treat vestibular patients, even if they don't have that certification. Right. Um, so certainly they should reach out to their clinic directors and say, Hey, does anybody treat vestibular? Because it is a, it's an extra specialty you can bring in for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and I want to, it's especially that
1: we can see all of our providers, like between family medicine, internal, ENTs, really all of those providers see those patients who do complain of that. So it's not, especially where you have to go see only one group of providers that can really refer for that, a vestibular, it can be across the
2: board. Um, even, I don't know if y'all do this, but like referring, um, you know, marketing to dentists, you'd be amazed at the amount of dentists that see people that are dizzy. And it's not because they're going to dentists because they're dizzy, but it's every dentist bane of their existence when they have a patient come in and they need to do a dental cleaning and that person can't lay back because they get dizzy. I cannot tell you how many dental providers I've talked to and just send them over to me and we'll treat them because they're already like, you know, cramped and doing weird things to get into the patient's mouth. And when they can't lay them back, it makes it that much more challenging. And what's really unfortunate is that there's a lot of patients who have dizziness or maybe have had a long history. Maybe they have one of these hypo functions where it's now become a persistent problem that they just think, "Well, I'm just older. This is how I am. There's nothing anyone can do. I just have to deal with it. That's not true. And so that's another provider that, um, you can talk to that you'll get a number of referrals from because they'll be excited if somebody can help them deal with that.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I had not even that's not even crossed my mind about an issue with the dentist and their patients. Okay, that's you know, good. Because we we try we talked to the dentist for craniofacial, but um,
0: that hasn't clicked with me. They're so misty. That's really gold right there to be, everybody's going to be making sure that they talk to their dentist about vestibular as well and it makes it makes
1: total sense yeah and there's another piece with the vestibular this one doesn't really have to do with vestibular itself but it does go along with those fall risks that you were talking about when um you know the fall month happens and we get a really great piece for marketing and it does state that you know like Twenty-five percent of Americans age sixty-five and older are going to experience a fall, you know, each year, and those falls can lead to hospitalizations. So really, I think it's just all these statistics that we have, and um, all this data is just—it's some great information that we're able to bring to the providers, and especially when they're on a sheet of paper that we can leave, point out, because you know we say it you know, it's the old I'm saying, where you hear, you forget, you see, you remember, then you do and you understand. So to have that piece that I know that you've worked on that we get to leave behind with our providers, they are like, oh, okay, I totally remember what these account managers were out here doing. And then they actually do write the referral. They're like, oh, now I understand my patients are having really great outcomes,
2: so. Um, I guess just the one more piece to tag onto that fall component. which definitely deviated from ortho, but it's great. Um, you know, I think of the last fall piece that we wrote, and we—it's funny because fall prevention is in the fall in September. Um, but for that last piece, you know, did try to emphasize if patients, you know, fall prevention—it's not about waiting till someone's had a fall to come to physical therapy. There are so many patients that will just say, "I'm," you know, "I'm slowing down. Um, I'm not as fast as I used to be," or. I'm looking to downsize and if providers just ask that extra question of well why is that and they'll say you know I'm just not as confident with my balance that's the person to send a physical therapy send them before they have that don't wait till they fall send them there that's those are the patients that I'm like a oh, home run knock out of the park I'm gonna get this person moving they're gonna do fabulous um, you know versus waiting till they have that fractured hip and then you're dealing with all of the orthopedic side on top of the fact that they have this underlying fall issue Um, I think there's, it's a huge resource that we can be for patients in our communities, Um, even outside of talking providers, you know, going, you know, talking to your gym practice owners and different community events and hitting up that target population that, that is that, you know, active aging group that maybe is slowing down and they just feel like it's normal and it's not normal we can come in, they can get a home program, get a short bout of physical therapy and be so much better as a result. Yeah, I think that's key. And there's that
0: short window when they're really, they're excited and they're open to it before something could happen. Absolutely. That's, that's key without a doubt because it is all about the education. And even when we're saying the fall risk and back to the vestibular, so many patients don't even understand that you can go to physical therapy for this and this helps it. Yep, you know, absolutely. And that's a, a,
1: that's a key point as well. Um, well, and it's how- that's funny, Kim, because it's, it's, it's not just the patients, the providers have absolutely zero clue as to all of the specialties we offer, which is really great while we're having Misty here to kind of cover all this, to remind all of us as account managers little things that we can say and certain patient populations that really can come to physical therapy. But that's our job every single day is reminding providers that, oh, yes, we do wound care. We do pelvic floor therapy. You know, we have all these great specialties with orthopedic sports residency programs, vestibular. And so, I mean, yeah, you're right, the patients, but even our providers. Absolutely. I had a neurology. I was I was meeting with a neurologist one time and I was asking him if he was um, familiar with the LSVT program for Big and Loud. And he was like, no, I had no idea. I was like, it's for your Parkinson's patients or your progressive neuro disorders. And he still had no clue, which was great because I was able to go in and educate him. And these days, you know, sales isn't about selling anymore, but it really is about educating our providers On everything that we can do so it it really does open really great doors for us to have great relationships and educate our providers on everything that these clinicians can do
0: yeah there's always an opportunity and if you can just dig a little bit more and ask a few more questions to kind of uncover where those pieces are that we can be that resource for and we can take care of more patients with stephanie you just said another um, another specialty that i wanted to see if misty could um, talk a little bit about is pelvic floor.
2: Yeah, so um, pelvic floor is actually surprisingly something I'm really passionate about. Um, it's definitely a smaller, I think, um, specialty across the company, but I mean, I think almost every region has at least a therapist that is interested or involved in pelvic floor. Um, Ashley Crew is our pelvic floor guru, if you like need any details, like that is the go-to person. Um, She's created our intro to pelvic floor and our pelvic floor two class that's coming out this year, which again will lead into a certification. Um, but we do have a lot of clinicians also take the Herman and Wallace certification. Um, I'm selfishly hoping as the upstream course comes out and that get, we get a certification, though, um, we'll be able to take that fully under our, our wing. Um, but yeah, pelvic floor is a huge underserved population. Um, it's not just females, can treat males as well. Um, definitely something though to contact your clinicians about to find out all right, well, you say you do pelvic floor, but like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, some of our pelvic floor therapists treat like incontinence, mm-hmm. um, which is difficulty like stopping yourself from going to the bathroom. And that can be completed doing, we don't always have to do what's called an internal evaluation or an internal assessment of the pelvic floor. Um, sometimes we do use special things like biofeedback or electrical stimulation to help with that. Um, but it is so much more. I think when you talk to a provider, is it is so much more than doing Kegels. Kegels are the thing that are what people talk about in um, the community. But it is just way more. Um, there was a great. Gosh, I wish I had this because I would. I would give you guys all the. Uh, the citation right now but there was this great article that came out a, a couple of years ago it was like to kegel or not to kegel and it wasn't like a magazine um this everybody's just told squeeze 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 well what if your muscles are already overactivating and you actually need to like chill out a little bit you need to just relax so that's not always the answer and unfortunately that's typically what people are told to do um and whether it's someone who's been having incontinence for or it's someone who's postpartum. That may not be the case. It may be a relaxation issue. Um, I actually took some pelvic floor um, continued coursework when I was in our Dillsburg location because it was a population that was underserved, and I was just meeting all these women that were having these issues. And so I was like, I'm, I am, I am gonna go do this. And it was awesome. I mean, we built a pelvic floor practice super fast. Um, but yeah, so I think for for the sales team to go and talk to to the providers that it's not just Kegels and there's so much more that we offer, whether it's what in the PT world we call up regulation and down regulation is like the formal term. So do we need to upregulate their muscles or downregulate? Meaning do I need to turn those muscles on and get them stronger? Or do I actually need to turn them off and calm the system down? We're able to assess both of those. Outside of incontinence, we also can treat pelvic pain, but not every PT does that. So it is something to ask about. Do do your providers treat pelvic pain? Um, And do they treat men's health? And then even pediatrics. So um, some of our our pelvic floor providers will treat children as well that have constipation or bedwetting issues. So it really runs the gamut across age spectrums, but also diagnoses. And don't you feel that these patients are also, kind of what
1: you're describing with the vestibular, where they're like, you know what, all these issues that I'm having, it's just part of aging. I've had multiple children; it just is what it is.
2: Yes, oh my gosh, right? Every other commercial, maybe it's the stations I watch because I'm a female hitting forty. I don't know, right? Target marketing. I feel like every other commercial is for some form of like fancy depends and like, oh, don't leaking, don't worry, we've got you covered. And people right. just think it's normal. It's not normal. Um, And providers that see that, you know, that's on a lot of paperwork. So I think we think of going to the OBGYNs. Okay, that's great. You know, go to your urologist. That's great. But your primary care providers, you know, that's huge. Um, Even, you know, a big one is oncology rehab. So um, if you have, you know, physicians that are oncologists or cancer teams, that's a really common um, side effect after having chemo because you just get atrophy. You know, you're not as active. Um, for people in post cancer rehab, what we know is there's a huge statistic. Oh my gosh, I just talked about this. We do in sports residency, we do up the athletes public floor section. Um, so there's two populations that are really underserved: people who maybe are coming out of skilled nursing. And it's like after 10 days of bed rest, I wanna say it's 82% of people will develop incontinence. So there's a very high association with someone not being able to walk and developing incontinence, it's huge. Um, and then on the flip side of that is athletes. So there are reports of anywhere from five to 80% of athletes have inc- female athletes have incontinence. And that's not who you may maybe think of, um, but it's big and it's out there. Uh, and so if you have sports medicine providers, that's something that they can be asking about and that we can treat, but not all athletes want to report on that. So um, it's, it's huge to talk about. It's also something great that, you know, for the sales team, promote that to your clinic. To your, that's something you guys can teach your clinicians about and say, hey, did you know, even if, you know, 80 maybe is high, we know it's like 80% in soccer players. Even if it's one in five of your athletes have incontinence, are you as a clinician asking about that? Because we can be the people that open the door and make that okay for our 18-year-old females to be having incontinence. And guess what? And now you refer them to the public floor therapist. You're helping that patient. You're bringing an extra referral and extra diagnosis into the clinic. That's huge.
0: Yeah, that's really huge. We're going to have some good conversations, both internally (laughs) and externally, for sure. I love that. Well, Misty, you've brought a ton to the table today. I can't wait to actually go back and re-listen to everything and I've been making some notes as we've been talking but I need to write more because it's been just your terminology's been great the flow of how you've explained things um, you know we've been missing that because we're not at our national meetings anymore and having you be a speaker um, up on stage for us and listening so this has been really um, priceless Um, we appreciate it so much and Stephanie, is there anything else that we need to cover and ask while we have Misty because we're hitting time frame.
1: Yes. Okay, so this is, has absolutely nothing to do with what we've been discussing, <laughs> but we'd love to hear. If there's, um, or we'd love to know if there's a favorite book that you're reading currently, or if there's a favorite podcast that you've got going on, kind of what have you been filling your mind with um, these days?
2: Oh my gosh, so I, that's such a big question, Um, (laughs) so I am actually working on developing a a con ed course for URI, so um, that has been on deck, so I'm doing a lot of reading and research on spinal stabilization. Um, so outside of that, you know, when I read, I'm a, uh, I am largely a read for pleasure, um, person. And I read on average, probably a book every 10 days. Um, but I read like fun books. Like I want books that are like escape. So, um, I'm in a book club. It's super fun. Um uh, so book we just read is the things we cannot say, which is a historical fiction book, which is great. Um, and then I do like um, some good podcasts out there. I'm a fan. I, I'm like, have a very hard time focusing sometimes auditory. Uh, so the podcast that I really love right now is um, Gary V. has a great podcast. And then I also like to listen from a clinical component to the ICE podcast um, and see what information I can snag from them. So those are kind of the things that I have going on right now.
0: Yeah, just a few things going on. Just a few. Just, just a few. Yeah, I got mean, this. All fun stuff, yeah just, just a few so fun, well, you've been amazing, thank you so very much, and um, this is this has been just really helpful to all of us, and we
2: appreciate your time greatly, well, yes. I think you guys for um Inviting me, this was so much fun. I hope I have the opportunity to come and chat with you guys again. I feel like there's so many things we could talk about. There's so um, many the things. World of PT is huge, uh, but it's been great. And, and again, I thank you guys for um, bringing me on. Absolutely.
1: This concludes episode five. I'm Stephanie Fowler. And I'm Kim McTiernan. And a special thank you to Ian Hauser for all of our editing. Okay, Kim, I am super looking forward to episode six, and it's all about beating the summer slumps. I wanna say thank you for everyone who has already sent in their ideas, because they're really some great ideas and some really cool tips that they've given us to kind of beat those summer slumps. I know, I cannot wait as well. Everybody, if you by chance are
0: listening to this and you have not sent yours in, please send it in, even though it's later. Um, We want to make sure to get that in, and these tips are both for professional ideas, um, like cool things that you do in the summer that are a little bit fun and different, and personal. We've gotten both, like what helps you beat the summer slump. So it's going to be a really interesting podcast, so we look forward to delivering that to you for our June episode.